Bienvenidos y welcome to the Biz Bruja podcast, where we're claiming our powerful intuition, sacred medicina, embracing our magic and healing ancestral patterns of colonization, oppression, and invisibility, and evoke powerful creations in our own well-being, our lives, familias, community, and our businesses. I'm the creatrix of this blogcast, the Biz Bruja herself, Vanessa Codorniu, a modern-day bruja, fourth-generation psychic medium, clinical hypnotherapist, and soul business coach and mentor. An Argentine-American who started reading adults at 16, became a professional intuitive at 22, and now guides creatives, intuitives, healers, and entrepreneurs to break through their fears and connect to the practical power of their intuition so they can serve the world powerfully. Bienvenidos. I'm so excited to introduce you to the woman that I had the honor to speak with for this episode. Now, as we know, the spirituality movement and spirituality world, at least in the United States, has been, and I would say, I would dare say throughout the world, I don't know enough, has been dominated by white women and the dominant white ideals of beauty. Now, we are still in the process of breaking down these outmoded views and bringing in more inclusivity and more diversity into the wellness and spiritual world on and offline. And so I reached out to somebody that I know and love, one of my favorite local bicultural Latinx wise women, crystal and energy healing artist, Angie Yingst. And in this conversation, we both riff about our experiences, about her journey um, towards waking up, getting sober, and surviving the preconceived ideals of what a spiritual healer should look like, i.e. young, thin, blonde, and white. And we've seen these images. We've seen them on the cover of major magazines and media all over the world. And while we're still in process, it's still a topic that needs to be brought up. It's still something that I believe needs to be looked at, unpacked, processed, dialogued. In this episode... We talk about this, we unpack it, knowing that we're not going to find a solution, but yet two of us are sitting here and sharing this information and inviting dialogue from our listeners. During this episode, Angie shares her profoundly spiritual experience of giving birth to her child who was stillborn at 38 weeks and how it deeply shifted her awareness. During this process, she became aware that there was a hidden grief that everyone was carrying and how mothering her grief led her to expressing grief through artwork and embracing her own mind, body, and spirit as she's deepened in indigenous shamanic work, energy work, crystal work to heal her own trauma and support her community. And so I just cannot wait to share with you Angie Yingst. So excited today for an episode with one of the local healers that I have the honor to know and to and to attend her beautiful workshops here in Pennsylvania. Let's welcome Angie Yingst. 
Hi, Angie. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so, so glad. And just to give somebody like people who are listening in a little insight. So I left New York City after a lifetime of, you know, spiritual work, of growing up, of doing everything, growing a spiritual community. And while I was here in Central PA, I was like, where do I go? What do I do? And so I wound up at Alta View Wellness Center. And that's where I met Sharon. And that's where I met Angie. And um, this your circle with with Sharon is the place like for the last two years where if I can get to every month, I go to get my healing on and to feel like you've got my back and to feel like there's a place for me to go. So I just wanted to personally thank you because mm-hmm. it's really been, I've experienced your work. And so that's why I wanted you on. And so Andrew, as we begin today, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I mean, we're gonna have our bio and everything, but. Yeah, um, well, thank you for saying that too about the healing circle. That sort of uh, working with another healer has been such a powerful part of my work. and. I think it's because I'm an identical twin. So I grew up with someone who completely, I completely mesh with. So I'm really good at blending my energy with another person and kind of pulling out our different strengths. And um, so I grew up, I actually grew up in Pennsylvania, um, but my mother's an immigrant from Panama um, and she's one of 12. So I have lots of cousins and you know, second cousins. And then my dad is American. Um, and he, he died last year, but, um, for most of my adult life, I was his, um, primary caregiver. So the, you know, he was sick with uh, multiple sclerosis. So, um, I did a lot of that healing and caring work, like within my own family before I went out into offering it out into the world. So I basically, um, grew up in Pennsylvania. I moved to Philadelphia to go to Temple University for film and then uh, changed to religion, comparative religion, and started studying and worshiping and praying with all different kinds of religion. But my primary focus was early Christianity, Buddhism, and um, Islam. So I did a lot of work with Islamic um, studies and things like that in Philadelphia, and then kind of got a normal job, worked a corporate job for a long time. And what I did was I was a corporate writer, like a copywriter, and um, I did a little graphic design and became kind of the creative director for a marketing department. And that was awesome. So art's always been like a thread through my whole life too. Um, Yeah, but the healing work really, and the psychic work started in my teenage years. My sister and I would kind of go to little metaphysical shops. Um, there was one in Allentown where we bought our first tarot deck and we shared it. I think we were 15. Mm. So we would just pass it back and forth and try to do readings for each other and that kind of stuff. So we were always exploring and my mom was very spiritual. So we had always had an ancestor altar kind of going somewhere in the house and um, she would give us crystals. Like if something was wrong, she'd take us to the crystal shop and like, oh, here's a malachite for that. Um, or here's, here's a satellite. I remember getting a lapis, my first lapis. Um, so I was exposed to a lot, you know, as a, I grew up Catholic, but I was exposed to a lot of different things. How did you find yourself moving into the shamanic healing space? Um, well, you know, I, st- I guess, you know, my early years were just, you know, doing normal jobs, but early, like in my early twenties, I moved to Tucson where I was uh, my my first husband is Yaki, and we would be often in healing spaces that were 
I guess you could call them shamanic at the time. I didn't have that word. It wasn't something that, you know, but they were more native spaces. And, um, and also I got introduced to like Wiccan, which is very similar shamanically. And so I was exposed to it for a really long time before I started pursuing it. It wasn't until 2012 when I started doing my own healing of trauma work that I started really looking for shamanic healing for myself. And I didn't even know what that was. I was just looking at animal medicine and, oh, this is cool. And then realizing, oh, wow, this is the shifter that I was looking for for my own healing journey. So I find that so many of us, we find this path because we're seeking to heal ourselves. I know that for myself. Oh, yes. I wanted to understand the world. I wanted to understand my family. And I wanted to find a better way. Um, yeah, exactly. And you were saying that healing for trauma. And so do you feel that shamanic healing, crystal healing, which is a lot of your focus, that that is supportive for, you know, trauma healing? Yeah. I mean, my, my studies absolutely were. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things shamanic healing kind of specializes in because there's an idea of soul loss, you know, around trauma. There's an idea in shamanic healing that, um, you know, we can find balance and we don't have to do it by cutting open the body. <laughs> you know, we can go in shamanically and energetically work on the body system. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if the word shamanic is even one that we should be using anymore. I'm trying really hard to monitor my words and my language around appropriation and things like that. But I, can, I guess I can think about it more as like transformational work. You know, it's, it's really transformative work and it's work that has been done for millennia, like thousands and thousands of years. The first recorded healing is shamanic healing. So, or transformational. It's, it's the work of the medicine person going in and healing, you know, the tribe and the village and the individual. So yeah, I think it's it's meant to be used for trauma, in my in my opinion. So beautiful. And what led you to, you know, take this work? So you're exposed to it for many years. It's part of your cultural heritage, one way or another, right? Yes, because absolutely. Even like your mother was giving you crystals, and then your first husband. What led you to actually really come out? Because there's tons of people that just do it for their family and for themselves. Yeah. Was there an experience or was it just a, a, you know, just over time that you were like, wait a minute, it makes sense. Or is it something that you knew? Did you feel it was a calling? No, I mean, there was definitely a couple of like huge experiences in my life. And the first, well, first I was, you know, doing this corporate job. Then I decided to get married, have kids and I decide I'm going to stay home with my children. So I became a mother, which breaks you open in ways that are profoundly shifting. But, um, but it's experience like so many women have. But so that was just the beginning of it. Then my second child was stillborn at 38 weeks. So I lost this child. And the thing about stillbirth is that it's not talked about. So when you're when you're in the experience of being told, sorry, we can't find a heartbeat, you're now going to have to deliver this child. So you're starting that process. You're like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's shocking. You're like, this still happens. And I remember saying, just cut her out. You know, I, I'm not going to give birth knowing that my child has died. And they're like, no, no, you do. You have, cause you probably want to have another child. We're not going to unnecessarily do surgery, which is exactly how I feel in real life. But of course, <laughs> freaking like trauma. 
uh, place. So I spent like a whole day laboring. I was just explaining this recently, so it's it's fresh in my mind. But that whole day of um, laboring and, and things like that was so profoundly spiritual and um, it knocked my entire idea of what the world was. Like there was this hidden grief that everybody was carrying. Cause once I started after I left the hospital, I had to share, right. Cause I was 38 weeks pregnant. Everybody was expecting me to come home with this baby. And I said, Oh no, my child was stillborn. And they're like, Oh, that happened to my mom, my sister, my cousin, my friend at work, my whatever. I started, I had this profoundly spiritual experience that we were all connected, you know, that, that this, this thread of grief and suffering is what connected us all. And that's one of the four noble truths, right? <laughs> that suffering exists. Yeah. So that was a huge shifter. And in the months after my daughter died, I was, I had a 20 month old at home. So I was like a mess. I had to parent and then tend my grief. And I felt like I was parenting my grief in a lot of ways. Like this was what I was mothering now. I didn't get a baby. I was just mothering this grief. And one of the things I did was take a class on um, uh, expressing grief through artwork. And I'd always been an artist and always loved art, but I never would share anything. Like it was very hidden. And it, because I didn't have a degree in art, I thought I wasn't worthy of sharing my artwork. I had all these ideas, these very limited ideas about what an artist is and who could be an artist. And this class gave me like a permission slip to just do it. I didn't, if I wanted to share, it was fine. It wasn't really about being good at quote unquote, good at art. It was about the authentic expression behind it. And while I began painting, I started painting these little bodhisattvas from Japan called Mizuko Jizo, which were invented by women in the fifties after World War II to express grief around stillbirth. Wow. abortion and miscarriage. So I began painting them and I would just send them to other grieving women all over the world. I must have painted a thousand of these things. I mean, just, I, I felt like I would lose time. And I later, someone told me, oh, Angie, you're channeling this work. Yeah. And I was like, well, what is channeling? <laughs> and that's kind of led me down a rabbit hole to find a psychic teacher and then the next thing that happened was that when I was about two years out of my daughter's death, was it two years, maybe, maybe three, two or three years, um, I got sober because I was using alcohol to kind of numb that grief. I didn't drink uh, all the time. I was always on or off drinking because I just couldn't regulate my emotions. And I realized, okay, there's healing and trauma underneath the grief. The grief touched all the other grief that I already had and the alcohol was helping me deal. So once I quit drinking, now suddenly I feel like I am a raw nerve out in the world yes. and I have to figure out what is going on with me. And the first thing that I realized was, oh my goodness, I am very sensitive to other people's energy. And oh my gosh, I am seeing, <laughs> you know, angels and guides and I am getting this information and the alcohol worked as a buffer for most of my adult life not to have to feel that. So now I suddenly need a teacher. Yeah. So now I need a teacher about it, you know? So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I, uh, thank you for sharing that point that our grief and suffering connects us and that and sharing all of your story and also sharing what you just said about 
when we put down our addictions, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's overwork, whether it's sex, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. because a lot of intuitives and a lot of empaths self-medicate in order to protect themselves. So, and so when you realize all this, which is huge, you found a teacher. Yep. I did. I mean, that to me has been the most exciting and important parts of my work is finding people who are like, I get that. I've been there. I know what you're going through. Let me guide you. Let me help you with, with compassion and kindness. So what had happened was when I got sober, I joined a fellowship that helps people in recovery. And a couple of the women said, Hey, my friend is hosting um, an angel channel. Do you want to come and do like a 20 minute reading with this person? And I was like, okay, sure. And, um, oh no, I guess it was a group channeling. And she, she kind of went around, got to me and she said, you're supposed to be doing this work. You're a healer. You're a psychic. You're going to be leading and teaching lots of people. And Mary Magdalene, her face transmuted to Mary Magdalene. And I was like, oh gosh, Um, I saw her face change. And um, she said, not everybody sees that. She said that to me. And she said, if you want to learn, I don't teach, but here's a woman who does. And she kind of led me to another woman who became my Reiki master, my angel channel teacher. And she just guided me. And she's still my friend. We're, we're still close. It was amazing. But she basically, I just went into group meditation. She said, oh, yeah, I'll come to these group meditations. It's not a big deal. I just channel a little bit and we go around and share about what we're seeing and feeling. And I realized like that collective energy of having lots of people um, channeling, like raised my vibration so I could see more clearly and experience more clearly. And she taught me how to protect and she taught me how to keep other people's energies from my own and those kind of things. And in that studying time, I ended up enrolling in massage school thinking that that was my healing work and at the same time started doing shamanic work with pixie distance so i I studied with pixie light horse and all her work was done online at the time so i would take her classes online and i really connected with what she was teaching and so much of it was informed about trauma healing trauma healing um mother wounds father wounds past you know, ancestral wounds. She's very mindful of um, cultural uh, appropriation and she's just really an amazing teacher. So just starting that process of doing both the angel channeling, the hands-on healing Reiki work and massage, and then doing um, the shamanic work was really powerful. So kind of came together. Thank you. And I, and I love, you know, what you're, what you're bringing up is what I find with so many healers is that it is really a journey. I think that the online space, the spiritual and wellness space uh, sometimes presents it almost like it happened overnight. Yeah. I got a download yesterday and now I'm online making, you know, all mm-hmm. this money and doing all this thing. When I know from my own experience and from so many healers and intuitive psychics, coaches that I meet, that it's really been, it's the long game, it's the long journey. And most of us, when we're sticking our toes into healing or spirituality, we don't even know that we're actually going to be doing the work that we wind up doing, I find, right? Right. Like Rita planted that, or, uh, you know, the first seed was planted. Somebody said, "You, you should probably do this work. And then I sat with it. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go do that tomorrow. 
has happened. So what would my life look like if I did that? You know, what does that look like for me? How would that be? And when I went to massage school, I went through four or five months of massage school and was like, this isn't the path for me. Like I don't actually want to be a massage therapist. So I kind of got that push to do hands-on healing, but it wasn't, you know, an allopathic massage. It was more of the Reiki and then the crystal healing came up around the same time where it just kept popping up. Like everywhere I went, crystal healing classes were popping up and it was the same one over and over, which was Hibiscus Moon. And so I enrolled there and it was just like you said, it was, it was not me pushing forward to figure out what's my next thing. It was just what's popping up in front of me. And is this the path I need to be taking? And once I start walking down the path, then more unfolded, you know, and then those people are saying, Oh, have you ever looked at this teacher? And when I go to look at that teacher, I'm like, no, thank you. Or yes, that feels right to me. And that's just kind of how it all unfolds in, in my life. Thank you. Right. It unfolds differently for many, but I, in a lot of my readings and a lot of my sessions, clients are like, they don't want to move until they know. Absolutely. It's like, they're like, what's my purpose? What's my, and I'm like, well, we receive the answers through the doing. We receive the answers through the living. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's where our soul, our specific soul, guides us from one step into another, into another. But if we're not willing to take that step, right, to just yeah. show up with that crystal class, to show up in that circle, to show up for meditation or whatever it may be, then we're not going to get the other little piece of the journey and so on and so on. So for anyone who's listening, you know, while we all have different journeys, uh, I just find that online with the commercialization of spirituality and wellness and even being a healer and healing that there's a whole energy presented where it's like, you have to find your purpose and you have to go after it. It has to be like this. And even just your story, you know, shares how it's like one thing led to another, just like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that do you consider yourself a Latina Latinx? Do you can, you know, just what has been your experience, let's say, as a mixed healer, if there is, if there is a particular experience of that for you? Well, there, cert- there definitely is. I mean, one of the things about what you just said was we have to be willing to course correct, you know, and figure out where, where what pa- if we're walking down the path and it doesn't feel right, that we get to like change path again. And I had a number of those experiences being like a fat Latinx mother who's 45 you know there's been many times when i was in massage school somebody was massaging me and said i don't know how to massage you you're too fat i don't know and i remember just being like like this is my worst fear and i was just like yeah this is what women look like you know this is what adult women look like you know i've had babies i have some roles i am no different in healing than healing someone who's a thin blonde 20 year old that is just And there's this idea that, you know, there's an ideal of a model, (laughs) you know, of what a spiritual teacher is. And so many times I've gone into these classes and it's like they're cookie cutters of the same teaching over and over again, which is a lot of yoga and a lot of kind of love and light. And I mean, not, I don't, you know, it's BS. A lot of it is BS. The work that I have found that's most powerful and potent is the work that's real and the real part of being a minority in this country is that we have a lot of trauma that is that is around being immigrants and being not part of the dominant culture and not looking like the yoga teacher 
and also knowing that the thinnest we're going to be is still fat for that yoga teacher, you know, and yeah. that is yeah. yes. so yeah. painful when we're trying to put ourselves in this little box and just saying, you know, I'm on this path of healing. So, so much of my work is about, I don't care about the love and light. I care about the shadow and the dark. And how are you going to make meaning of that? How are you going to heal from that? That doesn't mean that you have to now, you know, the healing looks like you're a 20 year old. No, the healing looks like you've, you have done the work, you know, that's to me, the healing. So, I mean, for me being, um, a Latina healer is about understanding too that we have to give permission and invite people of color to be in our circles. Yes. No, and it is it's hard because the spirituality movement, the quote unquote spirituality movement, is dominated by white women. Yes. And so we need to open spaces for people of color. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable sometimes to be like, sorry, you cannot talk about your quote unquote gypsy relatives because gypsy is an insult to Romani people or talk about, you know, things that are frankly not true about your cultural background, which is saying, I have a great, great, great grandfather who's Cherokee. You know, it's just, we have to speak in truths and what's going to help you get ahead is not being stuck in that place of mythology, but being right in the present with who you are and what you're dealing with at this moment. Does that make sense? I totally love it. I'm just listening and I'm yeah. like, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, on a no, no, no. And, but this is why this is the space, you know? Um, Cause I do episodes where I'm on my own talking, going, yeah. rambling on about what I feel, but I want to hear what you're feeling. I want to give you the space to use your voice. You have experience. You've lived not only your own life, but you've also held space for so many others. And that's something that we you know we were talking about earlier I mean, now some of the bigger publishing houses are creating scholarships, et cetera. But for years and years, I've literally seen World Psychics Summit, the best in the world. And I look and they're like white Irish, white from the UK, white from Canada, you know, white from the US. And that's great. You know, there are psychics that are white, beautiful. Uh, there are also a ton of other shades and cultures and religions and practices and paths. And that's also something that really has stuck in my craw and has been like, ah, you know, and just even seeing not only the summits, but seeing um, the courses. I mean, when I did my Urban Priestess Mastery in 2013, I had 20 teachers and it was the most, I had someone who was initiated into Yoruba guiding us. I had someone from the Lakota tradition, Beverly Little Thunder, who I've sat in her sweat lodge for like 19 years at that point. 18 years and so you know I had to and her daughter is Lakota and Latina Latinx and so I interviewed her as well Lushanya Chevarria and who works with indigenous populations and so we need to bring in other healers and not just to fill a quota you know not to be right. like, a minority let us walk through the door just like every other healer. And that whole thing, like, you know, I've taught in inner, inner city kids, like I've gone in to do mindfulness and relaxation in New York city, improv, other things, values. We talk about different things. And when I put up the PowerPoint, right. So let's say specifically yoga before I put it up, I was like, so what do you think of when I say meditation and there, and you know, Brown kids said, a skinny white lady with blonde hair and a white outfit and said, well, there's a reason why you think that. And then I pressed the PowerPoint and boom, the cover of time 
boom, the cover of this magazine, boom, the cover, and that's what they saw. Yep. So started to show the images, look, it comes from brown people. Look at these people meditating, they're brown. Look at these. And so I think that we have to keep showing up and keep sharing this. For you in central Pennsylvania, as a mixed healer, a Latinx healer, who also physically, right? Like you said, I'm, yeah. I, look, I look like a real woman. You said, how has it been? Have you been, has there been open arms? Has it been strange? Is it getting better? Well, most of my clientele are white, you know? So it it's different because we don't have a terribly diverse population here, right? right? So, but I do hope, you know, and one of the things I encourage is to at least open these dialogues and I'm a safe person to have because when we open the conversation about race or we open the conversation about spirituality and, and race and all of this stuff, we also have to open the conversation up to be awkward yes. and nobody get demonized for saying things that maybe isn't totally politically correct. So we're having conversations that we're just opening the door to. And so hopefully I'm just, a, a, you know, when people come into my space, um, I want them to see me as a healer, you know, and as a Latinx healer that they know, you know, because there's this idea that maybe I won't be able to relate to them, right? And that's just not true, that we all are human. My experience as a child of an immigrant is way different, you know, like I, we did get swastikas spray painted in front of our home when I was growing up because there was no other people of color where I grew up in Pennsylvania. So it, it wasn't an open arm place. So, you know, if I can demystify this idea that, you know, there are Latinas crossing the border trying to steal jobs, you know, this is who we are. We're, we're the healers. We are doctors. We are, yes, we do all the jobs, you know, and that's important to me. You know, I've been in spiritual spaces where, when someone talks about people of color, they're only talking about black and indigenous. And I said, you know, the most amount of hate crimes come against Latinos in this country. You know, that's the truth of it. So we have a lot, a big way to go to just understand that. So I say it as much as I can so that people, cause I, I'm very articulate. My, I was English is my first language. I don't speak Spanish like terribly well. So, you know, there is this idea that, you know, people see me and they're like, well, you're not, you're not Latina enough. And I'm like, been there. you, you gotta expand your idea of what it is to be a Latinx person in this country, because we do all the jobs. We don't just do one thing. You know, I still get followed in a store, just like the immigrant coming across the border. So don't be any mistaken. I am still, you know, treated like a latina by white people just not by you know you maybe but. yeah it's an uncomfortable space i i can i know what you're saying it's like not being white enough for white america and then not being hispanic enough for the latinos i've had yeah. situations like that um i worked i i was part of a theater group but and that one was accepting in new york city like 20 years ago but i remember going into audition when i was first auditioning 20 some odd years ago i'd walk in and they're like well you're not caucasian enough but then yeah, i'd walk into another uh audition for a latino latinx role but they'd want a rosie perez because that's who what they associated back then right 
or a very indigenous brown woman. And they'd be like, I don't know where to stick you. Like, I don't know what you are. Go, maybe you'll have luck as an Italian somewhere. I mean, it's just like, you know, and that was 20 some odd years ago. uh, (laughs) But I feel that that's still happening now. Not as much because we also have more avenues and more media, right? Because mm-hmm. now we have Netflix and we have HBO, and we have all these things, but it's happening in everyday life where people are still making judgments. I've been in spaces where people are trashing Hispanic people and I'm just sitting there and they don't know. And, oh, but you speak so well. And I'm like, ah, Dios mio, you know, <laughs> ah, you know, and, and, but I think that what you said is really true that we have to allow it to be awkward. I'm learning still how to have these conversations, even yeah. being, yeah. you know, I am a daughter of both of my parents are immigrants from mm-hmm. South America. My mom's English is still not great and probably never be. She's in Miami. And, you know, when you go into a very predominantly Hispanic, Spanish speaking community, you can kiss your, your English goodbye practically, yeah. you know, yeah. because you're just speaking Spanish. Um, so it's, it's, Ooh, it's it's intense and it's a conversation that's going to continue yeah before yeah. we wrap up because i know that we have some time but i wanted to bring up a couple of things what would you say what would you say to anyone first starting off on this journey because right now it's overwhelming right now you see everybody holding a crystal you see everybody taking a picture with something in the forehead and you know spiritual memes are all the the rage and they're funny they're funny but what would you say to someone who really wants to connect with something authentic and they're just starting out what would you share with them just anything that comes to mind well i would say putting yourself in the um in the circles with people you know try different healers try different teachers because not everyone's a perfect fit and so if you go to one meditation and that person says something that you don't connect with or it doesn't feel comfortable. That doesn't mean the whole community is like that, but I would try to pick people that aren't spiritually bypassing actual work. You know, that to me is the biggest sin that we can commit right now in our healing practice and in our teaching practice is to kind of just throw like everything happens for a reason stuff at people who are actually suffering. So, you know, for me, if you're on this path, the, the focus is there's, you know, 5% of it is far out, uh, angelic, going into a different dimension, and 95 of it is healing your trauma, you know, <laughs> or doing the work, <laughs> the, daily, the daily work of like, you know, I, I get up at 5, sometimes 4.30, just so I can meditate without children interrupting me, you know, and mm-hmm. I, that's my practice. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but it is a practice. It is not hey, I'm just going to one day be enlightened and I never have to do any more work again. The process of enlightenment comes with work. And I'm not even saying I'm at that process, that point of enlightenment, but I'm saying it happens because we have a practice and we do the daily grind of it. So. Thank you. And I know that you're a Capricorn, I'm a Taurus. And so we yes. know we've got this earthy based foundation, but to me, it's like you do the psychic spiritual work. So when your world does come crashing down because it will life does that to us um no matter where we are in the evolutionary spiral right evolutionary path that we have that backup Mm -hmm. that we have those touched stones and for anyone who is starting out and saying well i don't have any i'm like well you do even our breath right even our body 
Like we do have what we need within us, but I love that you encourage people to try different things. Cause I'm a big explorer. I tried a lot of things. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to bow down to this guru. No, I'm not into that in this life. You know, maybe I didn't know that. Like I'm not big into, I'm not into gurus. I'm not into bowing down and being like, oh, in front of people. I don't know why, I don't know why. I did something like past lives. I did a lot of, but I'm okay now. I am each other's shadow each other's journey yeah, um, yeah what would you say what's something that you've taken away any wisdom that you can share about ancestral healing like with your clients or patterns that come up you know anything that you've noticed as as this healer it could be anything anything so that you've noticed i know there's so much it's like but anything it's, it's, anything. it's, one, it's one of those, those things, things that people, people don't, don't look at a lot yes because they're not taught to, you know, we like one of the gifts of, of kind of our Latinx culture is the fact that we are taught. We do, you know, even when we list our name, we list our mother's maiden name and our father's name. And, you know, we know our grandparents, all their names because they're part of our parents' names. And so we have this idea of ancestry, you know, and how we get things passed down to us. And so I think it's a beautiful part of what we talk about. Oh, I've got my psychic gifts from my grandmother, but we don't talk about the trauma that we also get from them too. You know, the trauma, like my, you know, I come, I'm an alcoholic and I come from a family of alcoholics. And so, you know, one of the gifts I had was doing your ancestor circle on Samhain this year, which was absolutely amazing. But one of the things I was shown was, Hey, you, you know, you have this, grandmother who's incredibly artistic and she's also a drunk you know so you get to heal the drunk part and change the experience that you're passing on to your own children and that was something that came up in your circle that my ancestors are saying so you know that's just a small idea of like how we do ancestral healing it's it's not simply you know, just saying, I've got all these great things from my ancestors and all the ones that are assholes I'm going to ignore. You know, it's more like, let's figure out what all of, all of the stuff, the trauma, the good stuff, you know, all of it comes in. So, you know, and we have to name it first to tame it. We can't, we can't just, you know, go, oh, it'll, if I just, I'm going to look through all the ancestral trauma. We have to also name it, then we can tame it. And once we feel it, we can heal it, you know, that, and that's the important part of the work we do is that we, we call things by their proper name, right? We don't play pretend. And, you know, in my experience in my daily life, it's a lot of light and love. It is light and love, but I've had to go through darkness to get there. And in my healing with my clients, it's the same. We some, I sometimes see people for a year before their ancestral trauma even comes up yes. because they have to cut some of the BS out before they can even start to look at what was passed down to them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I love it. You're speaking such truth. And it's because I feel like it's, it's partly because we've built a reality around these beliefs. And when we have to look at the foundation of it, everything shakes, our life shakes up. And I would say that most of us want our lives to change the way we want it to change. But when we do spiritual healing, we don't have control about how our lives will change. Right. So we're like, wait a minute, love and light is going to stay like this. And we, we struggle. And it's like, like I was telling you earlier, like I, you know, I feel like you've been there too, where I'm like, I just surrender. I'm doing the work. I'm showing up 
I don't know what's going to exactly happen, but I have faith and I'm doing one foot in front of the other and just moving through like, you know, the dark patches or the shadows or pain or grief or loss. And so it's true. I think we have to release people cling very tightly to love and light, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I came across that very early on, like in my early twenties, everything was love and light, love and light, love and light. And I was like, wait a minute. And because I was Wiccan, so I was initiated as a Wiccan priestess yeah. that I was like, no, it ain't like it, it, you know, and just even studying my own ancestral, like in order to get to that light, we go through those dark, rich valleys and darkness is not a bad place. It's also a place of, of release and of setting the seeds for the new. It is a place of creation. But I feel that a lot of people skip that. They're like, it's this place of death and that's it. And it's like, well, death follows rebirth. Yes, so, exactly. But we can't jump. It just can't be light, light, birth, birth, birth. Yeah. It's and just, light and love is such a place of privilege. Yes. Right? Thank you. Like that's one of the things that we have to, as people of color, we have to face, which is our ancestors, if they emigrated to this country, to the United States, they they weren't looking at love and light. They were looking at batons and jails, you know, so we have to figure out, you know, we may have grandparents, you know, I think I come from a long line of psychics and healers, but I also have to look at the trauma of being a psychic in a country or in a, a community that didn't exactly accept that. If you had magic or power you were immediately, people would come to you when they needed something and you were the first one accused when something was wrong. So I, ha- I mean, so much of the work I do with people is unwinding those wounds of accepting their gifts because in the past, in their past, you know, ancestral lineage, they were punished. They were kept separate from, they were sometimes put to death because of their gifts, especially if they're women. So we yeah. have to like do a lot of that work too of like, hey, you know, there's fear around our gifts and that's, that's scary. So. Absolutely. And even like, I mean, I didn't, I was reading people at 16 and 22, I went professional, meaning that I got paid and I really didn't come out online. uh, Like I didn't really come out, come out. I was still having circles and I was reading people and doing hypnosis privately and I was doing Reiki since I'm 22, but I did not come out for 18 years. Yeah. And part of it was because, again, I did come, I mean, I know my grandfather had a guide, you know, I know that my mom did. I mean, they told me about it. They've read people, but they didn't do it publicly. They read each other. They didn't want it known. Uh, all my family members know when somebody's going to pass or we receive, you know, the spirit comes over and tells us. And on my father's side, my grandma was a medium and, you know, my grandfather was interested in hypnosis and they believed in extraterrestrial. I mean, it's just this long line of experiences and yes, even now, like I am visible, like I do videos, I'm out there. And yet I've been, you know, that's why the business Bruja or the biz Bruja was yes. a big deal for me to reclaim that word because both priestess and Bruja are in my, li- in my lineage. And we're talking about ancestral healing. We're mm-hmm. also tasked, I think, if we accept the task to heal the colonizer and the colonized within us. Yes. Right. Like. I know like a lot of my heritage, you know, 22% according to the DNA is indigenous from my grandmother, like Argentina, Peru, but I'm also French. I'm also Spanish. I'm also Portuguese, English, Irish, right? Like there's also all of that that are colonizers. And in turn, some of them were colonized. And then from six African countries, 
are uh, part Arab, part Ashkenazi Jewish. I know it's like, Whoa! and then it's like it's the same. I have I have DNA from every single continent besides Australia and Antarctica. You know, me like, too. It comes from everywhere for for many of us who are Latinx and yeah, and native. You know, too. Um, so we have to look at that as I love that idea of you know we also have to heal the colonizer and then. You know, it's not like we're making reparations to ourselves, but also accept this is part of who we are, you know, so. So good. So good. So I know that we're coming up to wrap up and I just love this conversation with you, Angie. And where can people find you if they want to reach out, they want to follow you on Instagram? Yeah. So my, so I am under Uber Angie, U-B-E-R-A-N-G-I-E. Um, at, on Instagram, but you can find me also by Angelica Yankst. That's one of my, my spirit name is Angelica. And then you can find me online at angieyanks.com. And my business is called the moon and stone healing. So you can kind of do both, whatever you remember. (laughs) Right. And you do both in person and online work. I do. Yes. I do distance work and I do, um, in person work at Altaview wellness center. And that's kind of my home. I don't really offer too much else out, out of that. Um, I also work at Hibiscus Moon Crystal Academy, which is where I, you know, uh, work as a crystal coach and the curriculum specialist. So I'm basically mentoring our students to do crystal healing for um, their clients. And so, yeah. so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Angie. And thank, thank you everyone you. for listening to this episode of the Biz Bruja. I'm so excited to share Angie and any feedback that you have. If you've enjoyed it, let her know, let me know, and we will continue um, sharing incredible healers and connecting with you in many different ways. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you.